The book of Ephesians, the letter that was written by Paul to the Ephesian church, where he spent three years. He had planted the church. It was followed by a powerful preacher named Apollos. And then after him was young Timothy. But here in the book of Ephesians, he gives the church instruction about what the church is to be, spiritually what the church is to be. And as I shared with you before, he begins the first three chapters with doctrine of who we are and the last three chapters and how we're to live in light of who we are. In Ephesians chapter 5, we begin reading at verse 1 and we'll read all the way to verse 14. But it is thematic following the instruction of verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must not be filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead, even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father, once again, we pray that you would illumine our minds, that you would guide us by your Spirit, that, Father, you would open your Word to us that we might have understanding for your glory and your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 6. We looked at what it meant to be an imitator of God, didn't we? We looked at that and we looked at how we are to walk in love, just as Jesus walked in love and how he gave himself up for us as a sacrifice, selfless sacrifice, and he died for our sins. And that we are to imitate his sacrifice, his character. Not only that, we are to run from immorality, run from impurity in our actions, in our speech, in our thinking. And it is not even to be named among us. And today we look at verses 7 through 14. Today we look at what another aspect of 
imitating God is to be like. And that is a figure of speech that Paul uses here. And that is to walk in the light and not walk in the darkness. One of the blessings that God has given to us is eyesight. And this morning I was actually thinking to myself about how my eyesight seems to be getting worse. But God has blessed us with eyesight. Things that we were able to see so that we won't stumble and fall. In order to be able to see anything, you have to have light, even a little bit of light. I was amazed when I was in Uganda after the pastor's conference. They were giving out some reimbursements to some of the pastors so that they would be able to travel back home. And we were in a room, probably about the size of this room, except there were no lights. And it was near the end of the day. We ended at five o'clock and the sun would set somewhere around seven or so. We continued to talk and we didn't end up ending until about six or six thirty and the sun was going down and there they were. The leaders of the conference were writing out these receipts and giving out some reimbursements to some of the attendees of the conference and the sun was going down and it was it was getting very dark inside that room. And I was fascinated because they continued to ride and I thought to myself, how in the world I could barely see. And then I went outside and I was talking with a group of pastors and we all sat down and we talked. A group of pastors from the Congo and we talked into the night. The sun had set and all I could see was the figure of their head and their bodies. And even then I could barely see them, but it didn't seem to bother them. All I could hear after a while was their voices. One would come from here, one would come from there, etc. And I learned later that the Acholi people had a phenomenal night vision. In fact, I learned that during World War II, the United States had hired some of these individuals to be a part of the military to use as scouts. So they would go out at night and they would find out where the enemy was on behalf of the U.S. soldiers because their eyesight was so good at night. But it's a requirement to be able to see that you have some light. Having light is important for us to be able to see. And the scriptures use the figure of speech here saying that we are light in the Lord, it says. In fact, it says we were formerly darkness, doesn't it? We were formerly darkness, but now we are light. See, before we became a Christian, our moral compass was dark. Our heart was darkened with sin and our lives were in the blackness of that sin. But now in the transforming power of the gospel and our conversion, we have crossed over and become light in the Lord. Light for all the world to see. That's how we are to be. Sometimes when you're driving along in the summer or sometimes in the winter or whatnot, if there is a particular company or an event that is going on, you'll see up in the night sky these spotlights that are shining around on the clouds and hope to attract a lot of attention so that if someone is curious and they don't have anything to do, they're not going someplace, they'll follow that light and find out what that event is or they'll find out what the sale is or they'll find out where the music is from. And in the same way, we as Christians are called these lights, called these spotlights, sweeping the sky and inviting people to come. Do you remember in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
I love that passage not because of just because he said it, but because of the context in which he said it. So let me paint for you a picture of what Jesus said in the light of where he was. It's likely that he said that at the end of a major feast in Jerusalem. That feast was called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Sukkot. There was a week-long remembrance that they had in Jerusalem where people would go out and they would build these, these, these booths, you know. It was reminiscent of the 40 years that the Israelites had wandered the desert and God wanted them to remember that time. But at the end of that celebration of that week, they had a spectacular nighttime ceremony. And it was called the illumination of the temple. And it would happen at the temple treasury in which there were four huge golden candelabras or candlesticks. And it was said that they were so high, as high as the highest wall in the temple. And at the top of these large golden candelabras, there would be a golden bowl at the top that would hold some 65 liters or over 17 gallons of oil. And each of these golden candelabras that would reach up into the sky would have their own ladder. And at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, there would be a healthy young priest who would climb up, climb up each of those candlesticks all to the top. And it would light the wicks and they would flame on. And the Mishnah, which was the Jewish law, said there was no courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit with its light. And the light reminisced. It would remind them of the Shekinah glory of God as he entered into the tabernacle. And it was reminiscent of the flame of fire that had led the people in the wilderness. And the Mishnah said also, men of piety and good works used to dance before them with burning torches in their hands, singing songs and praise, and countless Levites played on harps and lyres and cymbals and trumpets and instruments of music, unquote. And all of the celebration as these lights went up in flame and they would light up the entire city and it could be seen for, for miles away. And it was in the backdrop of the lighting of these things that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so, we, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, Jesus says to us through his word, What? You are the light of the world. Or in this text, you are light in the Lord. How so? Dr. Donald Barnhouse uh, commentator and preacher said it this way he said Christ was like the sun when he was here on earth once the sun sets the moon comes up the moon is like believers or the church the moon also shines but not of its own light is always reflecting the light of the sun to a world that is dark It is reflecting the light of Christ. And that is the first point that we are to be the light in the world. 
We are to be walking as children of light. And it says in the text to please the Lord. Therefore, verse 7, do not be partakers with them. Don't be a part of those who are involved with immorality. All those things that we talked about last week. People who talk the way they talk. Impurity. We're to be separated from the foul language or the off-color speech. Instead, in verse 9, we are to be characterized by righteousness. And it says the fruit of righteousness is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness is the word which refers to things that are intrinsically or inherently good, free from defects or honorable. Righteousness refers to how we live. And in a sense, there are two types, two senses by the which, which word the word is used. One is the initial righteousness, when God imputes to us Christ's righteousness, and we are seen by God as righteous because of what Christ has done on the cross. And that is justification. But there is an aspect in order to live righteously too. Just as Paul tells Timothy to pursue righteousness or to practice those things that are right. So we would have goodness and righteousness and truth. Honesty, integrity, trustworthiness, without deceit, without lying. Because if one is going to be an imitator of God, chapter 5 verse 1. They are not to be deceitful or to lie because a person who lies or a person who is deceptive isn't imitating God. They are imitating Satan. All of these ways, goodness, righteousness and truth are ways in which we as children of light are to be reflective of the Lord. We are to be lights in the world. We are to be reflective of the Lord. When I was a little boy, I had this little plastic thing I had gotten in Sunday school. It was a little plastic cross. And at night, you see, you wouldn't be able to see that little plastic cross just like any other, just like any other toy that I had received as a Sunday school award. But we put that cross next to a light just for a little while. And you turn the light off. Well, you discover it was one of those glow-in-the-dark crosses. And it would glow, this kind of green light glow. And that's how we are to be as well. When we spend time with the Lord, when we spend time in His Word, when we're walking with Christ, and when we're, 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 we're in communion with God, we reflect the light of Christ. We glow, as it were, because the, the character of God works in through us. We're close to God. We'll naturally let, let out a testimony that is reflective of Christ. It's a matter of spending time and growing in Christ so that we're more like Him. To walk in the light of Christ. Not walking, secondly, in darkness. For verse 11 says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but even expose them. In other words, we're to walk in the light of Christ and not walk in darkness, the negative aspect, not to be in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. What are the unfruitful deeds of darkness? Chapter 4 and chapter 5 tell us. Deceitfulness, lying, stealing, immorality, bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. We talked last week about greed or filthiness. Or dirty talking, or coarse joking, or covetousness and idolatry. None of that. But in fact, not only are we not supposed to not do those things, but we're to expose, expose those things. 
The word for expose, it carries the idea of reproach or correction or punishment or even discipline. You see the command here. The command here is not just, quote-unquote, to tolerate sin. That's not what it says. The command here is even to expose them, to speak up, to take some type of action. And you see, many times we tend to perhaps be people who would say, well, I, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable by the way they act around me. I don't want to cause any waves. I don't want to bring up anything. I don't want to say anything. And, you know, sometimes in some circumstances that may be wise. After all, you don't want to be a person who comments on every single thing that happens always giving one's opinion or viewpoint or whatever it might be. But that's not what this text is talking about. It's not talking about when to say things and when not to say things. This passage is speaking of exposing sin. When things are wrong, when things are displeasing to God, that we simply don't sit back and say, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to put up with it. We're not to tolerate sin. We're to confront or to expose it. When people do confront sin, sometimes the problem is that they do it because they're angry or upset. And many times the message can be rejected simply about how someone comes across. When someone senses that you're not saying it because you're, perhaps they sense you're maybe self-righteous or coming across in a way that is hypocritical or insensitive. Or because you're, you're coming across in a way in which they reject the messenger as well as the message. Sometimes the political campaigns, things like that, people can communicate in a way that is not loving. But for the most part, many people simply don't say anything at all. And that's why I believe the passage says that we are to expose sin because there's a temptation not to say anything. There's the fear. There's a fear of not saying anything about an issue or not saying anything about sin. But that's not a very loving thing to do. Some people feel as if, well, I don't say anything because I want to be more loving and accepting. But love looks to the best of what pleases God. Love, true love, wants others to come and walk with God in conformity to God's Word. When we don't say something to someone, we often feel as if, well, that's being loving. But the true thing is that we love ourselves more than we love the truth. We love ourselves more than we love God. We love ourselves. We don't want to be rejected. We say we don't want to be hurt. The real reason is we don't want to ruin any relationships or we don't want to say anything. Let them live in sin because we love ourselves. But you know what? God has called us to call people into conformity with His Word. Some churches don't even want to say anything. I was reading and remember one individual who was on national television, pastors one of the largest churches in the nation, when asked if he uses the word sinners, he replied, I don't use it. I never thought about it, but I probably don't, unquote. Why? Because he doesn't want to offend. He doesn't want to cause anybody any discomfort. But that's not true love. Because true love corrects. It's just 
like a parent, when you see your child doing something wrong, you correct them because you love them. You don't want them to turn out in a way that is not good. And if you truly love someone, you'll seek what is best for the other person. And what is best for the other person is that their relationship with God is right and that God is honored. And so we're to expose sin. But when we do, discretion is involved. For it says, verse 12, For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Some sins are so bad. Some sins are so bad, it's not good even to make mention of them in any detail. And we don't ask people. We don't want you to go to ask people about every sordid detail, about all the types of sin. It's morally, morally dangerous to do so. And in verse 13, it's interesting there. It says, all things become visible when they are exposed to light. And that second phrase, for everything that becomes visible is light, is more easily understood and it's better translated actually if it says for it is light that makes all things visible see by your speech by your life the things that you do in the context in which God has placed you you shine your light of Christ and sometimes it will offend that's just how it is that's just how it is Sometimes you may not need to say anything. They may know. I remember working in a company and, and sometimes they would find out that I, I was also working at a church at that time and I was doing a dual, dual jobs at that time and they would find out and some of them would make fun of me actually. It was kind of funny. I had a very good working relationship with them and all of my coworkers. Some of them were rather antagonistic, but all of them were sometimes, I would say, for the most part, respectful. But people are going to react in different ways. Sometimes they'll even talk about you behind your back. But that's okay because God has given to you a testimony to shine for Him as a light in the world. To confront sin is like shedding light in, on, on, on a dark place, you see. And those that don't like the light will run away like when you turn on the light and there are cockroaches in the room. And as a Christian, it's our responsibility to speak up. So when there's others that are using offensive language, foul language around you, it's good to speak up and ask them kindly not to talk that way. Or if a company is engaged in illegal or unethical practices, it is the right thing to do to speak up and to question it. If a family member is making decisions that are not right with God, then it is our responsibility to speak up and talk to them about it. All with the motive of love. All with the motive that you want them to walk with God. That is why Paul gives a quote at the end. Verse 14. Some commentators believe it was an Easter hymn. Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Perhaps adapted from Isaiah 60, verse 1, which says, Arise, shine, for the light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And it's an invitation to those who are living in darkness. That they might come to the light of Christ and Christ might give them life. For Christ has said to us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Or does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket? Implied answer is no. But on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. 
Live as children of light then. As someone who gives hope. As someone who gives hope. I think of the area that we went to once again in Uganda. According to the parliament of Uganda's website, the average age of those that live in Uganda is 15. I've seen some other numbers that record the age of 17. The average age, the average lifespan is up to about 47, I was told. So that means a half of the population or so is under the age of 15. And it was only about two, three years ago that the war was still on. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Invisible Children, the, the rebel soldiers would come. And what they would do is they would kidnap children. They would kidnap children and indoctrinate them into becoming soldiers to fight for them, these child soldiers. They would raid the villages. They would burn down the huts. They would kidnap the children in order to cause the children to be ostracized from the village. They would take these children and make them kill villagers in their own village or perhaps even kill their own parents. And so when the war was going on, it would rage. It was some uh, 23, 25-year war. Thousands of children near the end of the day would begin walking by themselves without their parents. They begin walking in streams. And I remember seeing some video of it. Streams of these children and they would begin walking for miles into the city. And as the sun began to set, the children began to run. And those that lived in the city would hear these children all coming and you would see them coming out from the villages all to come into the city. Why? Because the raids and the kidnappings would occur mostly at night. And only the, the only place that the children would be able to find safety would be inside of these cities, many times behind these walled compounds. And there are films made of these children, thousands of them. And you would see them, they would film, they would just lay there side by side, some sick, some tired, some malnourished. They would lay there side by side trying to get some sleep until daylight would come. When there would be hope for a new day. Because if they could make it through the night, there would be hope the next day to live again. There would be enough light for them to go back home. And the next night they would make that journey again to hide from what would happen in the darkness. And for us as Christians, we are to be that light to the world, hoping that as the testimony of Christ shines, people would be attracted to your life. That they would run from the darkness that would to come. The light of Christ that reflects from us just as the moon reflects the light of the sun. And just as Proverbs 4.18 reminds us, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray, O God, that we would look at our own lives and Lord, ask ourselves, what is the testimony that we have in this dark world? For you have called us, O God, to live as children of light. 
to shine like stars in the night sky. And I pray, Father, that you would cause us to live for you. To speak up, Father, in the face of sin. To be courageous, O God, to confront in a kind and loving way that righteousness might shine from our life and be a testimony to a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.